Hey guys, just a quick trigger warning. Um, This conversation will include themes of addiction and mental health and homelessness. So if that's something that is activating or triggering for you, um, just proceed with caution. Thanks. Hello and welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next half hour as we make space, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name what matters. Hello, hello, and welcome. I'm so thankful you're joining me for this episode. Real quick, before we get into it, if you haven't yet, would you please hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you are currently listening to this podcast? And would you leave a review uh, or a rating? It helps so, so much, especially for a new podcast like this. And I would be so, so grateful. Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am so excited to have author and homeless services worker and advocate, Kevin Nye, who is joining me to discuss what he calls the Christian call to end homelessness. So let me introduce you to Kevin if you aren't already familiar with his work. Kevin is a writer and advocate working toward ending homelessness by engaging best practices. He has written on the intersections of homelessness and faith for Religion News Service, Sojourners, Red Letter Christians, and more. He has presented at national conferences on the topic of homelessness, including Housing First Partners Conference 2022. Kevin's first book, released in August of 2022 and is titled Grace Can Lead Us Home, A Christian Call to End Homelessness. Kevin currently lives with his wife and son in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he works as housing director at an organization addressing youth homelessness. I also want to give you guys a heads up here at the top of the show that at the end of the episode, we are going to be announcing a giveaway of Kevin's book, a signed and personalized copy of his book. Um, And so the details for how you can win that giveaway will be announced at the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that. Kevin, welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I am uh, so thankful that you decided to join me, and you're one of my first uh, guests. I'm excited for uh, to bring people what you have to say. And in our intro, I, I, I talked a little bit about what you and I were going to be discussing. So if we could, let's start with a brief just sort of note about language and words, mm-hmm. um, which I think you, you also mentioned in your book. Um the the word homeless versus the word unhoused versus you know what is what is the um what is an appropriate and sort of dignifying way to speak about um the the homeless population or unhoused community how would you say it sure yeah the first thing i say is that ultimately i i'm happy to describe what i use and why i use it i try not to be necessarily prescriptive about it because the word that's sort of falling out of vogue is the word homeless, right? And yet that's the word I hear most from people who are homeless mm-hmm. used to describe themselves. So I, I would hate to, uh, right. to say that that's not the right word when it's, you know, a self-identifying word. 
from within mm-hmm. the community. Um, but I, I like to use either people experiencing homelessness, because uh, that's person first language. It acknowledges mm-hmm. that they're a person, um, that not, and that homelessness is not a defining characteristic of them, but something that they are currently experiencing that maybe they won't be later and that they weren't always. Um, and then I'll also use the word unhoused, which isn't person first language, but, um, it is a word that we're not used to hearing. And so I think it kind of like, uh, it bypasses those like synapses in our brain where we're, you know, used to hearing the same thing over and over again. And our brain connects homeless with all these other qualities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Being unhoused, I think, kind of subverts that. And on top of that, saying that somebody is unhoused versus homeless reminds us that housing uh, isn't a commodity that some people have and some people don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And instead, it puts housing more as an obligation that communities have to house its residents Mm -hmm. and that the people who don't have homes, it's not because they don't have a home like it's a commodity. It's because they're not being housed by their community. Wow. That's really good. Thanks for, um, thanks for explaining that. So in your book, Kevin, I, and I I mentioned this in an email to you and I'll I'll just say this for the, uh, for the listeners. I, my sister experienced homelessness for, um, Mm -hmm. a season of time and it was, um, a really, really dark and traumatic season for her as well as in our family. And so, um, so when I saw your book, like I wanted to support you and I was so like, yes, and amen to your message. And also I was scared to read the book because I didn't want to go back into that space in, uh, into my trauma and, and, um, in our family. And so, uh, but when I was prepping for this, I did, I did read large chunks of it. I'm, I, um, plan to go back and finish it, but it's really, really, good it's gracious and it's full of really um helpful ideas and uh unpacks you know scripture and theology and pro- process and policy and um there's all different kinds of of ways that you kind of come at this this conversation which i really appreciated in the chapter on housing in the book um you bring up some practical ways that Christians can intervene either literally or evolve in our thinking and theology in ways that can be substantial and meaningful for people who are facing or experiencing homelessness. Can you talk a little bit about those? I'm thinking about eviction, interruption, affordable housing, things like that. Absolutely. And yeah, this is close on my mind and personal for me right now, because at work, we're trying to stave off a bunch of evictions that are all happening mm-hmm. at the same time. And over on Twitter, I have a, a tweet that's ruffling some feathers about <laughs> eviction right now yeah. that even uh, Mr. Greg Locke himself has chosen to respond to. Um, oh, great. Yeah. You know, so, so great to hear from him. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, evictions ultimately are, they're terrible. They're terrible things um, that, devastate families they they involve you know the the violence of our judicial system of of sheriffs and we have gotten so accustomed to them to the point that the rate that they happen i was just told recently that in hennepin county which is where minneapolis is it's where i'm located now just in this county alone 
courts are handling 90 eviction proceedings per day. I mean, the, the rate at which people wow. are being expelled from their homes for lack of payment, we're not talking anymore about, you know, the situation of like the ma and pa landlord who they own a duplex and they rent out half of it and they've tried so hard to work with their tenant and it's just an unsafe situation. Like those still happen, mm-hmm. but largely what we're talking about, like 99% is huge, huge corporations owning giant swaths of housing, having a whole team of lawyers that as soon as the law allows, they're Mm -hmm. evicting tenants right and left. And it's happening so much and people are ending up on the streets. People are ending up with evictions on their records, which makes it nearly impossible to ever rent again. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's to say nothing of like foreclosure for people who own homes and like it is, it is so, it's so bad. And we have to one, just as Christians, like interrogate, like whether we're okay with that, whether we're okay with participating in that process in any way. Um, and whether or not we should be interceding. And obviously I believe that we should not have anything to do with evictions as Christians, except for stopping them and interceding, mm-hmm. uh, in them because they're, they're just devastating. Sorry, I'm a little soapboxy about that right now. No, that's, I mean, that's what I, that's, you're right. I, um, uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to leave this in, but when when my sister, um, overdosed, the, the EMTs let us know there was an eviction notice on the table, um, when they brought her out and it was, um, it is devastating to a person and it is devastating to a family and it can, the ripple effects of it can be so there's shame and there's humiliation and there's fear and there's uh, all these sort of big things that come with it. So, uh, so I, I would, I um, appreciated what you had to say uh, on that talk. If you can, you mentioned a term in the book, nimbyism, Um, And this was really, really profound to me. So you mentioned as one of the biggest obstacles to affordable housing. um, And I think every Christian needs to probably consider overhauling their thinking and actions in in terms of this. Can you tell us what that means and then sort of how how it affects our unhoused neighbors? Yeah. So NIMBY is an acronym that stands for Not in My Backyard. Um, And it came about because what, what happens is, you know, as as we've realized that what we need to address homelessness is more affordable housing, right? And we've pushed things through legislatures, got funding to actually build these things. Um, We then start to look for the land to put it on or the building to buy and convert. Uh, And what happens time and time again is the neighbors like lobby, they rally, they protest to get these things shut down because there's this belief that um, bringing, you know, quote unquote, these people into the neighborhood, regardless of whether they're already in the neighborhood, just on the streets, you know, um, it's going to cause some sort of increase in crime that it's going to bring down property values. Um, And so, yeah, time and again, these, these programs um, 
don't happen or they get sort of pushed off to the outskirts of the city, which is just either creating or perpetuating segregation <laughs> that already exists <laughs> in so many of our cities, right? And mm-hmm. um, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of nasty. And the, the, thing, the argument I make in the book is that, you know, you know, theologically from a Christian perspective over and over again, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Like it's not your backyard. <laughs> That's God's backyard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and God's pretty specific about, uh, about whose it is and, uh, and what we ought to, to do with it when there are those who are in need. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's God's backyard. That's um, that's a good sort of segue into the into the next question. You you also invite us in the book as Christians to rethink our theology of housing and land, mm-hmm. um, from churches and religious institutions to individuals to Christian owned businesses that own land or manage properties. Um, what are a couple of key things you would say need to be sort of rethought? Or wrestled with in terms of our theology and housing. So I'm thinking about you know you mentioned in the in our first sort of question, eviction interruption. That's an, that's one way that Christians of all kinds can try to can try to um, end homelessness or can try to affect and intervene into homelessness. Um, you mentioned the sort of nimbyism, re- rethinking about this is not our backyard. Now I'm thinking about the people who actually own land or own property or have the buildings and have the space, um, what, what key things would you, would you think need to be wrestled with and rethought? Um, yeah. Type of folks? yeah. I think theologically, the first thing we need to talk about, you know, we are very, very used to talking about the Bible and the events that happen in it as sort of like dislocated from real places and real people and rootedness. And especially, especially as Americans who actually have less than, you know, 400, 500 years of real history on the land that we inhabit because <laughs> we showed up mm-hmm. and took it from other people, right? That mm-hmm. um, it's very easy and common for us to, to not think of rootedness of, of place and associate our theology with literal land and the stewardship of that land we're much more likely to think of it in terms of ownership and commodity right and so that's how we treat our land when we have when churches have buildings and churches or christian universities own a bunch of land their land stewardship committees are asking questions about how they can you know keep the value of that land high and leverage it for income and it's all very a capitalist approach to land rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, what we might understand as like biblical land stewardship, which is constantly about how did, how is the land utilized to benefit the most vulnerable? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's if Christian universities, churches were asking those kinds of questions rather than, you know, how can we get the best (laughs) bang for our buck per square foot? um, I think we can make a huge impact on on homelessness because i mean churches christian orgs are just largely sitting on a bunch of underutilized land Mm -hmm. um a lot of empty buildings a lot of churches that only get used you know once or twice a week Um, a lot of churches that have huge properties from when they were a big like 
2,000 person congregation that now they're a 40 person <laughs> congregation. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they could sell that that big campus that they have to a housing nonprofit and buy buy something that actually fits you know the size of their congregation. You know, I think just imagination like that. Um, just really, we need to get there. And I think our, our colonial nightmare that we're in because we are so disconnected from the idea of where we live and the generations that have gone before us keep Mm -hmm. us from ever having that imagination. Yeah, that's really good. Um, okay. So you, you talk in the book about and sort of publicly on social media as well, about the importance and awareness around mental health, um, addiction, overdose, and then separating facts from myths um, when it comes to um, the homeless community. Can you first talk a little bit about what some uh, some of the biggest or most egregious myths are and address some of those with facts? And then um, I'd also like if you could to tell us a little bit about Narcan and how Christians or anyone can be trained in its use and get access to doses of it for, for use at an emergency. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, the myths are pretty uh, pervasive as it pertains to both mental health and substance use. Right. And that's, you know, you hear that, you know, all the, all those people are mentally ill or all of them use Mm -hmm. drugs, you know, and the data just does not bear that out. Um, It looks a lot more like a third um, have, you know, some sort of mental health condition and maybe somewhere around 40 to 45% uh, use substances, which and both of those are higher than the general population, right? So it's not to say that they're not, you know, that there's not an overlap in those Venn diagrams, right? But it's important mm-hmm. that we recognize the difference. Um, and it's also important that we recognize what the relationship between those two things is. Right. Because I think that what most people would say is, especially around substance use, is the reason that they're homeless or they're still homeless is because they're addicted to drugs and that takes all their money. And that's just not what those of us who do this work see yeah. and hear. What yeah. we see is that um, many people don't begin their addiction until they are already experiencing homelessness because using drugs yeah. is a great way to get by. <laughs> Uh, and self-soothe when you're experiencing homelessness. Um, And it's similar with mental health, not that I would say homelessness causes, uh, you know, schizophrenia to arise in somebody, right? But Mm -hmm. if you do have schizophrenia and you're living outdoors versus indoors, it's going to be a lot worse. It's going to be a lot harder to manage, to stay on your medicine, to get, you know, even just to feel like you're in control enough of your surroundings to have, you know, control of your own facilities, you know, faculties. Um, And so we have to think of these as in the correct relationship to homelessness that they are and not just associate them, you know, as a one-to-one. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and the the idea of, you know, I think people uh, oftentimes you hear don't give homeless people money because they'll use it for drugs or they'll use it for alcohol or they'll use it to continue. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think that is, um, 
one of the more, I guess maybe in the suburbs, you know, I don't, I haven't really ever lived in the city. I've only ever really lived in the suburbs and that is, um, and you know, adjacent to the city, I go to Dallas, I'd say maybe once every six months, (laughs) usually, usually I'm in a big enough suburb. I don't, I don't go to the city. Um, but when, when you hear people like in church, when we heard people talking in church about how to help homeless people, it's usually not trusting them and their own adulthood and their own dignity and their own ability to, um, to make decisions about what they like or what they need or what they want. It's, it's usually about, um, it's this sort of patronizing, infantilizing, um, white savior sort of relationship where we'll tell you what you want, need, like, and, and how to spend your money. Otherwise it's not, you're not worth it, which is, um, if you can, I mean, I don't know if you have anything to speak to that a little bit. It just, I, I've always, uh, had a knee-jerk reaction to that type of infantilizing. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for one, the the, the idea that, oh, they're just going to spend it on, on drugs, right? Um, I'm not going to say that they're not going to spend your money on drugs. Right. You know, I don't know the person. Again, it's it's not 100% of people experiencing homelessness who who use drugs or who have, you know, alcoholism uh, as part of what they struggle with. Um, what I will say is that no one ever kicked an addiction because they didn't get enough on the street from, <laughs> you know, panhandling, you know? Right, so ultimately right. like whether or not you give them money is going to have no effect on their recovery period. Mm, yeah. Um, no one ever came to me and said, you know, I've been addicted to heroin for 10 years, but yesterday you know, that guy didn't give me money. And so I said, you know what? It's not worth it. You know, that's just not how addiction works. Um, yeah. No, it's not. So so there's that. And then the kind of larger piece of um, this concern about, well, what are they going to spend it on? I mean, can you imagine if we were held to that standard? <laughs> like, um, I really, really don't need... Uh, anyone looking at where each of my paychecks goes, right? Like just the amount of money I spend on, on comic books would make, you know, most of these folks really just quiver in their boots, you know, and and like where we allow a certain amount of, you know, quote unquote irresponsibility for some and expect Mm. those who, you know, who are experiencing homelessness or poverty to not, you know, experience any joy or right. to... And they have to perform it for us. Yes. They have to perform their poverty for us to make right. sure that we know because you, you're you're worthy of your, some, some irresponsibility and you're not. Yeah. And in that case, it's more of, it's, it's so much more about the person giving, feeling like they did something than it is about anything actually yes. being accomplished. Right. Yeah, that's right. Like um, if, we're, if you want to give money to somebody, you need to be comfortable with them wasting that money in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, okay, real quick, to circle back if you can tell us a little bit about what Narcan is um, and how Christians or anyone can be trained in its use and get access to it. Um, who who might be more 
more likely to need it and who, you know, that sort of thing. Is, is it suburbs? Yeah. Is it rural? Is it city? Um, yeah, if you can just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so Narcan is a, it's a, a drug that's widely available. Um, it's the brand name of a drug called naloxone, which, w- which is an opioid antagonist. And what that means is if you have taken opioids and you are experiencing an overdose, administering Narcan or naloxone, either through the nose or through an injection, uh, it basically goes straight to the opioid receptors in your body, kicks off the opioids, and takes their place. And what can happen in a real-life situation is that there are those who are in serious overdose crisis. They're not breathing. They look rigid. They look, in fact, like they're dead and have been administered Narcan, and it's within a minute they're resuscitated, sitting up, mm. uh, and and back to the land of the living. Um, wow. And it's honestly, it's a miracle drug in my eyes um, yeah. because it also has no side effects. So if, if you're having a heart attack and someone thinks that you're overdosing and they give you Narcan, nothing bad can happen. Uh, it literally can only do the one thing. Um, and something that's happened, it's been around for 30 years, but in the last decade or so, it's finally become more widely available for use um, as a, a public health recourse to help counter the opioid crisis that we're in. So mm-hmm. um, in a, most states, especially major cities, you can find an organization that supplies it and trains you on it. And you can actually do like a 30-minute training and leave with a couple doses of it. Um, in terms of who needs it, I would say everybody, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, the opioid crisis is one that, that affects your, your typical, you know, drug user who might be shooting up heroin, but also, you know, opioid addiction looks like, you know, the, the person who had surgery and took a couple yeah. too many pain pills and, uh, you know, and kept going. Yeah. Um, so I think everyone should have it. In a lot of places, if you're prescribed opioids, like after surgery, they make you take Narcan too. Um, And yeah, everyone should have it. Everyone should learn how to use it uh, and carry it with you because you just never know when you're going to need it. Okay, so that was my conversation with Kevin Nye. As you heard at the beginning of this in every episode, my goal with this show is to make space for, honor, and name what matters. So let's talk about why this matters for just a moment. And in fact, actually, I'm just going to let Jesus tell us why this one matters in his own words. You can find what I'm reading from in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40 in the New Century Version. Then the king will say to the people on his right, Come, my father has given you his blessing. Receive the kingdom God has prepared for you since the world was made. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was alone and away from home and you invited me into your house. I was without clothes and you gave me something to wear. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the good people will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you food or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you alone and away from home and invite you into our home? When did we see you without clothes and give you something to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and care for you? 
And then the king will answer, I tell you the truth. Anything you did for even the least of my people, you also did for me. You guys, this matters because not only that, as Genesis 1, 26 through 28 tells us, every human being alive is made in the image of God and bears the honor and dignity of being of God in their very personhood. It matters because before the first humans ever did anything to attain status or wealth or morality or worthiness, God blessed them. God's original blessing resides in every human being, and as Jesus so eloquently put it, to dishonor or disregard or forget about any one of them is to dishonor and disregard God. Jesus goes even further and says, the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the poor, the sick, the prisoner, they are me and I am them. If you want to find Jesus, look among the margins. Look among those that society has pushed to the margins, rather. Those who are hungry and thirsty and homeless and poor and sick and prison, you'll find him there. This topic matters because it's not just a topic. It's not just a cause, it's not a demographic or a set of statistics or stereotypes. It's people, image bearers of God, and identified with and as Jesus. My thanks again to Kevin Nye for joining me today and sharing his hard-won insights and wisdom. You can find Kevin on Twitter and Instagram at KevinMNye1, that's N-Y-E and the number one, or on his website at KevinMNye.com. The book, again, is called Grace Can Lead Us Home, A Christian Call to End Homelessness, and it is available now. As we mentioned at the top of the show, there will be a giveaway this week. We will be giving away one signed and personalized copy of Kevin's book to a listener who completes the following four steps. Okay, so pause as often as you need to to make sure you get all four steps here. You follow our show on Instagram at Let It Matter Podcast. You have subscribed or followed and the podcast app of your choice and left us a review. You have shared this episode on your own social media and you follow Kevin's Instagram account. Again, that's at Kevin M. Nye one. Once you do these things, comment on the Instagram post for the original Instagram post for this episode. Um, and we will check your receipts on our end, and I will announce the winner about two weeks from the air date of this episode, so around Valentine's Day. Um, if you have thoughts or feedback about the episode, please share them with me. I would love to read them. You can comment or DM on Instagram at Let It Matter Podcast, like I said, or use the contact form on LetItMatter.com as well, and I will get those. Okay, as you know, we end every show, every episode with a blessing or a benediction of some kind. I thought this one was fitting today. It comes from Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 23a. Then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God belongs to you. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they insult you and reject you as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and jump for joy because your reward is great with the Father in heaven. <laughs>